I think in the past it was always, okay, what's our influencer marketing plan? Let's go get someone with a big following, have them talk about us and then we're done. Right. And now it's, let's go get a lot of creators. Maybe they have smaller followers. We can work with them to tell all different types of viewpoints and stories about our brand. And then we can also take that content and run it in our ads. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. All right. Yeah. So I got a question for you. Okay. Uh, well, first a statement. You just put out a new book. Hmm, I did? You did. You did. That's right. Um, I've noticed that uh, I've gotten some emails from you, some promotional emails and 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 good content that helps us want to learn more about your book. I've I've seen you on um, on social media in different places. I'm curious about the metrics that you might be using to gauge the success of your email campaigns and the social media that you might be putting out. What are you looking at to see if that's working or not? That is a good question. Well, first of all, book sales is, Perfect. is Perfect. one of the metrics if I'm trying to funnel people towards that. Uh, even kind of beyond that is if they reach out to me and want to schedule a call and talk about working together, that's really when I know that things are working. But even kind of earlier on in the funnel, if people are subscribing to the email list that I created just for my book, for the Hospitality Mentality, uh, which you can join at the hospitalitymentality.com. Uh, and then beyond that, engaging with my social media posts or, or at least liking them, those who are commenting on them. Uh, but it's a good question because those are metrics that I I see those and I, and I like them, but I know that the more important ones are the people who are engaging with my emails, particularly clicking, perhaps buying the book or perhaps reaching out to want to talk more. And is there also a metric of people who have maybe subscribed but haven't made the purchase yet or maybe they engage with some things maybe there's there's something else that you could do to further engage them so that ultimately they'd want to buy or work with you yes in those particular instances i do include a link to purchase the book at the end of every single email as well as a link to amazon because for those of you who have read the book, I would love to read your review on Amazon, uh, as well as making sure that the content that I'm sending them is not content every day saying, please buy my book. Do I want you to buy my book? Yes, absolutely. But also I'm using email to kind of like develop that relationship and, and like, here's content that whether you buy from me or not, hopefully this just adds a little spark of value to your day. Excellent. Excellent. Well, do you know why I'm asking? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, one reason is um, our guest today 
is someone who talks about finding the right metric or looking at the right metric. And, you know, I think a lot of times, especially in social media marketing, I know I've been uh, guilty of this and probably still am to some extent. Sometimes it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall mm. and you, you don't know what you're looking at. You don't know if that's a good metric. It's a bad metric. Is that a good value or a bad value? And so you think, okay, well, I saw this number last week. Now this number is higher. It's got to be good. Right. So what I really appreciate about what Jenny Williams talks about, who is a media strategist for Attend Media, is she talks about finding and looking at the right metric. So not looking at those things that don't necessarily drive the needle, but those things that really are impactful to the business. And I feel like there are so many metrics that we all have out there that that, like you said, like, oh, it's higher than it was last week, so I must be doing a good job. Whereas do they actually paint the full picture and are they aligned with the, the goals? I, even long before I had my book and, and this email list around it and the social posts, uh, we've been tracking metrics here on Attraction Pros for close to six and a half years. And I think we spent a lot of time towards the beginning trying to boost our social media following. And we, we still do that to an extent. But we've kind of weaned off of that in the last couple of years because it's it's not so much the social media following and, and the number of people who are following us, but it is those who are engaging with us. And where I know that things are working is when you and I are at conferences and people come up, they're like, oh, hey, I listened to your podcast. Oh, when I pull up the Podbean metrics to see how many people are downloading and all I see are numbers, now there's actual real, real relationship that's happening there. So to that standpoint, first of all, if you see us at conferences, please tell us that you listen to the podcast or just reach out on social and tell us that that you're listening because that helps us understand even our metrics a little bit better to help us know where we should be aligning our efforts. And just kind of a brief aside on that, because we can't see names and faces behind the number in terms of who's listening and who's downloading, we assume that people who are listening and downloading are attraction pros, but you may be from a completely different industry, which is totally cool, right? Yeah. So again, I think, you know, what, what Jenny talks about in terms of finding the right metric, I think is, is awesome. And I would totally agree that whenever I am out someplace and someone says, Hey, I read that blog post, or, you know, that was a great episode. That to me is like the, the ultimate feedback. And I hope that's the right metric to be, to be paying attention to. And the message of like, hey, keep doing that. Even yes. if it looks like you are just on Zoom right now, sending out content into the void that there's actual people who are who are engaging with us and, and hopefully gaining from it. So yes, we talk about tracking the right metrics. Uh, we also talk about an effective media mix. So we are recording this in early 2024. Media has existed for a long time. Social media has existed for, uh, get, we're getting close to like 20 years. You know, wasn't Facebook was found in 2004, right? So wow. we're- yeah. So we, we kind of talk about how, how that has evolved as well and where you should be targeting your advertising towards each channels and how much of your advertising budget you should allocate towards that and how much of your overall budget you should allocate towards advertising. So we get we get some real tangible, practical stuff happening in this episode. And not to say that this is the Advertising Pros podcast, but because we do tie this back to specifically attractions. And Jenny works a lot with um, nonprofit attractions. So we get to see how all of that stuff that you just talked about impacts a mission-driven organization. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So with that, should we uh, 
turn on the TV and see what commercials <laughs> show up as uh, we get to this interview with Jenny Williams. Let's do it. All right. Hey, Jenny, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How you doing? Hi, Matt and Josh. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Awesome. So thank you again for being here. Uh, so excited to get into this conversation. But first of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? Yeah, so I'm uh, 15 years in the media industry. So I've always been on the agency side, loved media, planning and buying. Um, and uh, I lead Attend Media. So all media strategy, planning and buying for nonprofit attractions. So zoos, gardens, museums and aquariums. So 15 years in the media industry, I've got to imagine this has probably been uh, one of the most interesting 15 years to be in the media industry because the last, see, 15 years ago was around 2009. A lot of social media was still maybe not in its infancy, but definitely in a stage of ramp up. But I don't even know if companies were were advertising on Facebook then. Twitter, I think, was was just you know so new. There certainly wasn't TikTok. What? What are some of the maybe can you maybe can you walk us through sort of what the last fifteen years have looked like for just media in general? Um, well, since I have slightly over fifteen years, I actually started November two thousand and seven, which is exactly when Facebook launched Facebook ads. So um, I definitely remember being you know that the, the young person at the time who came in and it was like, hey, figure out this Facebook. <laughs> So, uh, and I think we do that now when people come out of college, like, hey, figure out this TikTok thing. So um, there's definitely been a lot, uh, you know, a huge evolution. I'm very happy that I was able to come into the industry at that time because traditional media outlets were still very big and important. Um, so I have a lot of experience buying TV, radio, out of home, traditional media, but really it was able to come into the space just as it was really starting to kick off in the digital world. So got my hands on platforms, being able to manage a few campaigns in um, social. I don't necessarily do hands-on campaign management anymore. I do overall strategy across all channels, but it's really helped me understand big picture, especially as we're starting to see more kind of programmatic or automated media buying going into the digital media space, how, um, how to manage that, how to handle that, the pros and cons of it, and how to really blend kind of all channels together for an effective media mix. And how did you get involved with nonprofit uh, attractions? So um, in my uh, past agency, I had a few clients in that space. I've worked with both for-profit and nonprofit. So um, I've worked with Dollywood theme parks and resorts um, for on the amusement side. And then I worked with clients like Atlanta Botanical Garden on the nonprofit side, and it really just became something I loved doing. I, you know, one of the great things about working on agency side is you get experience oftentimes across a lot of different industries. But then as you get more and more experience, you start gravitating towards a particular niche that you really just love. And for me, I loved, um, they're fun, right? Like they've, they've got a fun, thing, a fun thing to share. And on the nonprofit side, of course, there's a mission that they're focused on too. So it's all about spreading a good mission and, and you know, spreading the education um, in, a, in a community, um, in addition to, of course, driving visitation and ensuring that we're, we're hitting goals like revenues too. So uh, it's, it's been fun. So I know that we're going to jump into talking about kind of the differences between nonprofit and for-profit attractions and, and how they uh, kind of organize their, their media and their advertising strategy. But even before we do that, before looking at all those as a whole, what are some of the unique challenges that the attractions industry has when it comes to media and advertising that perhaps is, is unique to attractions compared to other, other businesses? 
So of course, within the traction space, all of them are a little bit different, but I think over the last several years, one of the big things has been how you based off the type of attraction is, do we drive them online for an online ticket sale? And can we track and attribute our success to the media channels that we're running? Or are people still coming up to, to the gate and making a purchase? How do we, you know, how do we attribute maybe some of our non-digital channels to support and drive um, you know, attribution across, you know, visitation across really all of these, you know, various channels. So it's been um, I think, you know, the, the, the tracking and, um, attribution back to those media channels is just, is a challenge for all of them. Um, and I think now in 2024, it's January, 2024, we're seeing new changes come to the, to the table in terms of tracking. Everyone sure is aware whether you're in marketing or not, that Google's making big changes on privacy and tracking. Um, so that's definitely a, a um, you know, a, a challenge that they all face regardless of. Um, for-profit, non-profit, big, small, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a, definitely the same across the board there. So I'm curious, what are some of those different approaches that you might take? You mentioned Dollywood, uh, you mentioned the botanical gardens, uh, from profit to, to non-profit, or I think as you, as you put it, um, mission focused versus ticket focused. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious how those approaches from a media standpoint might be different. Yeah, so the well, they're, they're all definitely still focused on driving visitation, driving tickets, right? But nonprofits need to incorporate that mission-focused message, right? The education and the conservation. Uh, so ensuring that they're in channels that can really kind of build their brand, build trust in what they stand for, what they do, and their purpose is important. Um, and when we think of kind of our maybe amusement and theme parks that are more ticket focused, it is very promotional driven. Um, it's all about, you know, season pass, you know, local resident passes, um, you know, all the various options that you have for coming into the park. And that's all incorporated into their creative strategy. Um, you're, you know, you are seeing both of them talk a lot about the different exhibits that they might have throughout the year. But even with the for, or, you know, for-profit or ticket-focused attraction, they're incorporating you know, that, that promotional price point throughout the year, um, season passes is, is number one for them really to, to push that, to get people to come back, you know, multiple times throughout the, the season. Can you give any, any specific examples kind of over to the, the mission focused attractions and that the, the advertising should tie in with the mission, like with the zoo, like coming here because you are helping to conserve wildlife and save endangered species, et cetera. But at the same time, come here because you want to, because you are going to have fun with your family, a similar type of fun that perhaps you would have at a theme park. But having that, having that really kind of walk that line there between focusing on that, on that mission, while at the same time encouraging someone to come because they want to. Yeah, it's a, a balance that they've got to face in terms of the messaging, making sure that they're um you know, they're incorporating, of course, all the reasons why you, you should come um, for fun, but also, you know, oftentimes when there's a deeper purpose for, you know, a, a company has a, a deeper purpose or mission for, you know, what they support, you know, those things can be weaved in to help maybe make someone choose that, you know, they, they only have so much money maybe to spend on that attraction that they're going to go to and maybe giving or, you know, or visiting or giving to that mission-based organization that they believe in can be a motivator to you know drive that ticket sale um but it is a challenge i mean it's a lot of messaging that you're trying to to incorporate and oftentimes with our nonprofit attractions the budgets are tighter right they're just there's going to be less that's allocated towards that marketing budget overall 
Um, so incorporating all of that into a message, using the right channels to be able to drive that, or maybe channels where you can um, more easily kind of recreate, you know, various messages like TV might be difficult to create three, four or five different spots to promote several different events of a brand and, and mission message, right? Like maybe you just stick with television to really push the brand admission while you're sticking with a channel like social media to help drive more of the ticket focus exhibit based messaging throughout the year. So a balance in the channel mix, it's one of the reasons why they typically have such a broad channel mix in their local market. Um, and, uh, you know, not that a, a, a for-profit attraction wouldn't have a broad channel mix, but I think that is one of the reasons why a lot of our amusement theme parks can be very, very, very heavy digital and our nonprofits still have a pretty good mix of traditional and non-digital channels in their media mix overall. So you just mentioned television kind of versus social media, and it sounded like there's a different message maybe that you would put on TV versus what you might do in social media. And one of the things I'm curious about is how do you determine that? How do you determine what messages go where? I'm guessing, you know, you have the the uh, experience of of the metrics and what people respond to, but I'm curious from a, you know, from a nonprofit saying, what do we do with this? How do you determine what message goes where? Yeah, so we can do it through testing. We can do it through, you know, just looking at the the experience overall of what's worked in the past and what hasn't. I think with, um, I mean, nowadays, a lot of these channels can serve a lot of different purposes and a lot of different objectives, right? It's not, you only need a big brand message in TV, but it still tends to work well for big brand message in TV, right? So, um, but, you know, when you're looking at things like social, where you have a very short attention span, you need short video content where you can get the main, that main point across very quickly. So we do work with our, um, our clients with kind of that overarching content strategy of what types of messages are we going to put in? I mean, now when you get down into social media, you've got multiple different platforms, Facebook, TikTok, um, Instagram, Snapchat, right? Pinterest. And you really, you can't just take the exact same ad and put it in the exact same, so or, or all of the social media channels and, and expect it to all serve the same purpose. It's just not going to. So it's it's a challenge for all advertisers, not just, you know, nonprofit attractions in terms of how they adopt, uh, adapt that creative, but we'll work with them in terms of best practices on, practices on things like video links that work better in particular channels. Um, creator content is really starting to become a lot, um, a lot bigger in terms of bringing it into our actual media execution. So um, it's not, I think in the past it was always, okay, what's our influencer marketing plan? Let's go get someone with a big following, have them talk about us and then we're done, right? And now it's, let's go get a lot of creators. Maybe they have smaller followers. We can work with them to tell all different types of viewpoints and stories about our brand. And then we can also take that content and run it in our ads. So I think as, attractions start getting a little bit more comfortable with being a little less polished in their advertising. They can take advantage of a lot more of these channels um, because people are seeking kind of that organic experience. What's, you know, and they trust it when they see that it's not perfect and polished all the time too. So mm -hmm. it helps out. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned uh, your media planning guide and particularly the bucket channels of impactful and opportunistic. Can you share uh, what what those what those mean and, and what that looks like? 
Yeah. So um, again, they, you know, these advertisers have a very broad channel mix. And I think a lot of times, I'm sure you've heard of the marketing funnel of awareness, consideration, conversion. And from a media playing perspective, it was often, okay, how does our, how do our channels fit in this, in this funnel? And at the end of the day now, especially as we're seeing this more of this blend between digital and traditional channels, right? TV is not just traditional anymore. We have streaming TV and, you know, same with radio, programmatic media is coming in and out of home. So um, how are we um, kind of bucketing our channels in a, you know, knowing that every channel can really support any stage of the funnel. Um, so we like to think of it as impactful and opportunistic and impactful really is more of our placement focus channels. It really elevates our brand. It can help kind of create excitement. Um, and this is, these, you know, channels like TV, radio, out of home, we include influencer marketing here as well, too, because it's really you know, building a story around the brand. Um, but it's the, the digital outlets of this too, right? Streaming TV, streaming radio, um, all are part of that impactful um, bucket. And then our opportunistic bucket tends to be um, like more audience focused. So you can get a little bit more one-to-one -one, um, and you know, really that audience has this like reasonable chance of acting on a purchase or some type of engagement, right? They can do something with our ad. Um, and that's going to be a lot of your digital channels, like your paid social, online video, banners, but we also would bucket something like direct mail into this piece too, because of that one-to-one -one targeting that you can get. Um, so nonprofits need to blend of this. Again, they're trying to drive brand mission visits. Um, so they need a mixture of these channels in their local market to help support all those different objectives. So one of the things you mentioned uh, a minute ago, Jenny, was talking about, you know, creator content and how many different people are out there creating content. We're creating content right now with this podcast. I know you have a podcast. So I guess my question is from a from a media standpoint and trying to get a certain message out there. Maybe this is just a basic advertising question, but how do you rise above the noise? I mean, there's so much more out there. I remember growing up, we had three channels and you couldn't fast forward through commercials. <laughs> now, I mean, you're inundated with information. So how do you create a, a package or a plan for, you know, a nonprofit attraction where you can say, this is what's going to get your message in front of the right people and over and above somebody else's message? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a lot of the things that we do is actually start with our, uh, um, we, you know, we audit campaigns for our clients all the time. And one of the things that we're looking at is how much weight do you actually have in a channel? Do you have enough weight in a particular channel to actually move the needle and not just dilute your message across the board? Um, so yeah, that actually kind of ties in nicely with one of our top rules, which is this 5% rule that's part of our guide. Um, and because of this wide channel mix, a lot of times we can, you know, nonprofit attractions can get, um, want to do a little bit of everything, right? And so if, if with all of this noise, it is important that you are putting enough weight behind the channels that you're in to be able to stand out. So going in and doing, you know, working with one creator or influencer on one post and on one event, you know, it's, that's okay, but really a better way to go about it would be going in and working with multiple creators on multiple events, um, and then taking that creator content, pulling into your ads, promoting that for more additional reach as well too. So just ensuring that you're amplifying your content in every single channel as well as you can and not stretching yourself too thin. So 
it's okay, of course, if there's one channel that maybe comes in right, right under this 5% of your total media spend. But when you start looking at your, your channel mix, you start auditing your plan, if you're consistently you know, delivering channels or, or, or allocating budgets under this 5% um, in multiple channels, you're going to really be diluting your message. And a lot of those channels could be consolidated to be more impactful in one, right? So we see 5%, I think probably sounds like, okay, Jenny, that's super conservative. That's not, that doesn't even really mean anything, but we do see this time and time again. So where, again, because they're trying to do a little bit of everything, they do really stretch it then. Um, a couple of examples, like one influencer is an example of it, but we'll see it oftentimes with maybe one print ad, right? So there's the one local family print magazine, and we're going to buy one ad in the summer and let that one ad run. It's not that we're anti-print. You can run you know, any channel mix based off of who your target audience is, but are we going in saying, okay, we actually have a strategy for print this year, and there are a lot of family publications in our market, or... We want to run, you know, two, three time frequency and maybe add on, you know, an email blast for this particular publication list, right? So there's, there's more strategy that you can do around that, um, that we, we try to recommend for our clients. And we often say, if you don't want to spend more than 5% on a particular channel, it's probably because you know, that channel is not really right for your plan. So you're not willing to invest enough in it to, you know, to, to really build a, you know, strong strategy behind it. Um, so audit your plans, make sure that you're not, you know, stretching that budget too thin and, and check how many times you might be breaking that 5% rule across channels. So something like the 5% rule to me, that, that, that's like easy to internalize because it's just math. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. I, can, I can take something that's kind of like abstract and sort of distill it down into something that it's like, okay, that's immediately applicable, but it's 5% of that budget. Do you have guidance on what that budget should be is that x percent of, of annual revenue like like what like it's five percent of what specifically <laughs> yeah so in the in the space i think um it can definitely vary um on average especially with like zoos gardens and aquariums um uh, it's usually somewhere in between like three to seven percent um you know this is based off of information from like the uh, APGA and the um, Association of Zoos and Aquariums. So usually they're spending about three to 7% of their annual operating budget on marketing. Um, and then that of course is broken down between PR, creative, media, uh, but media tends to be the biggest chunk of that because it costs the most, right? So um, the, the largest the largest line item on that marketing budget is paid media usually. Um, but that spend is all over the place too. So there can be, you know, a, you know, they can be spending as low as 1% on that marketing budget or, or much higher. And it's interesting because we're starting to see there's definitely kind of more marketing leaders coming into this space from the for-profit attraction side. Um, so they do believe in marketing and we're seeing some increases in, in marketing budgets to help drive visitation because they do see the value in that. But all over the place in terms of what that, uh, or it can be all over the place. So we help guide out of their total marketing budget, more so what they should be spending within particular channels. And if they're limited on a certain marketing budget, we're gonna help them select the best possible channels to be in to reach that right target audience that they're trying to grow, um, or you know, of course, spread that mission too as well too. So that was a little bit on the 5% rule. I think you also have a 10% rule. 
Yeah. Correct? <laughs> not <laughs> we call it the paid social world, just to okay. not be super confusing. But, okay. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so every every attraction can spin, you know, spin across any channel. We don't necessarily have a rule of of a particular channel mix that anyone should follow because every market is very different, very unique. Um, target audiences can change uh, and shift. Uh, but we we tend to say that the only channel that you you have to have on your plan or you really should have on your plan as a nonprofit attraction is paid social. Um, but this is the one channel that we see people spending the least uh, against for the most part. And paid social has really changed, right, since 2007 when it was introduced in Facebook. Um, and it's changed not only by just the sheer reach in each one of these channels, but the, the amount of channels that we can get into. So um, it. Social media as a whole is, is a huge reach channel. Um, it's number two behind broadcast TV in terms of overall reach against 18 plus. Uh, so I think in the past, it always was seen as um, like a more targeted uh, way to reach like a really niche audience. And it's really utilized more for high reach and markets. So, um, or not more, but you know, it can be utilized the same for high reach and market as it can for like super targeted audiences. Um, and then we're also seeing a shift in kind of audience demographics in terms of who are using these channels, right? So I think we all know TikTok is younger, right? But when we think of TikTok and even Instagram, there's uh, you know a lot of data supporting that, that they're more diverse, right? So um, if we have a, an initiative to maybe grow Hispanic or, or African-American visitors, which this is always really important for nonprofit attractions since they're trying to ensure that their visitors look like their community, right? Um, so if they have those initiatives yet they're only running Facebook for social media, they're missing you know, a big growth market um, for their, their audience overall. So you really do need some variety in terms of the platforms that you're running within these media channels, um, social media specifically, but yes, 10% is our recommendation in terms of that total spend. Um, and you know, if the smaller the budget, the, the higher that percentage really should be with social. So um, if you're spending one, 2% of your, your marketing budget on um, paid media, or I'm sorry, if you're spending one or 2% of that um, operating budget on marketing, you're probably going to want to look at a higher percentage of that minimum spend on social uh, versus the 10. But in general, 10% works for, for most advertisers in this space. Uh, but yeah, it's a reach channel. It's a must on the plan. And uh, you, you know, you multi-platform to support multi-generation, multi-generational visitors and uh, diverse visitors too. I'd love to talk more about the changes in the social platforms as it relates to, to paid social, because you mentioned their their audience reach per channel has grown, which of course we've seen, and the number of channels. I, I think there's like what hundreds of actual like social media channels that are that are out there all across the world. Uh, but even within those channels their algorithms have changed regularly over time as well. And I think my question has to do with really keeping up with those changes, because I've got to imagine that you have to shift your strategy once the social channel changes the way that they're actually going to put. Well, there was there was a time back in 2007 to 2009, you probably didn't even need paid social. You had your Facebook page and you had X amount of thousands of followers and that was your audience. And then Facebook was like, oh, we can chart, we can make them pay to, to be able to have their content seen. And of course that's changed, you know, continually even more. So how do you, how do you keep up with all the changes? Yeah. I think is, is the question. <laughs> well, that's, a, uh, it's a great question because, you know, I think on the agency side, we're typically 
you know, we've got um, either we're partnering with, um, you know, a social, we're bringing in like social experts for every single platform, right? Internally, the question, if you built out a marketing team and you're trying to get into each one of these platforms, do you actually have someone who can be that expert in Facebook and Instagram, be that expert in TikTok, be the expert in um, Pinterest, Reddit, LinkedIn, right? Like every single channel really has its own, there's a lot of similarities, of course, but they all have their own strategy. Uh, and I think, you know, Facebook and Instagram is probably the most robust in terms of just everything that you can do within it, but it's tough. I mean, I've, you know, this people who are coming into the space of social, social media campaign managers, I mean, they're expected to know so much nowadays and they've got to keep up on so many changes. Um, so we like to make sure that, you know, there's kind of two ways of looking at this. One is just understanding the audience as a whole and where those shifts are happening, those trends are happening platform by platform. But then within each platform, what is the buying strategy, right? Which, which objectives are we actually setting up? Is one platform better at driving awareness while another platform is better at driving conversion? And that's those are all the little things we're going to be looking at to help allocate and kind of dictate that budget across that you know huge social media channel mix. And this is one of another the other reasons why we say you should be spending more because it really can do so much for you. And I think, you know, we see a lot of times advertisers spending more in like display banners, right? So they'll spend more in display banners than they will in social media. And they'll there'll be a few thousand dollars kind of scattered across every single social platform, but but you know, they'll they'll spend fifty thousand against display banners. And to me, that's always kind of backwards. Like let's let's get the 10% first on our paid social and then let's start thinking about some of the other channels that we might need um, you know, to help support that that messaging overall. But yeah, so there's just there's so much that we can do within social. Um, it it it's such a great reach channel. So we typically don't have a lot of limitations in terms of you know not being able to actually deliver a budget in some of these channels. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that that uh, advertisers in that space can take advantage of social media, and it's no longer a you know dabble in with a really small niche audience and spend just a small amount for it and see what happens. Like we now can be much more strategic about how it fits into that overall channel mix for, for our media plans. So Jenny, I'd love to go back to almost the beginning where we were talking about, um, you know, the mission or whether we're selling tickets or driving the mission, because ultimately what this media is doing is trying to drive attendance, right. And getting people mm -hmm. to the, to the uh, facility. And that of course means that they're going to have some sort of experience there. And, and I'd love to kind of get into a conversation of how the marketing and the media affect guest experience and even vice versa. Um, so how they kind of impact each other. Yeah. Um, well, I think our marketing oftentimes is thought of as this kind of highlight reel for, for our attraction, our park, right? And um, it, it can be, but we have a lot of channels that can help support kind of showing the reality, the behind the scenes footage of, of what's really going on and what to expect. So, you know, kind of going back to, if we look at creative and TV, we're, we're not gonna create a do's and don'ts TV ad for, you know, $20,000, right? But um, we can create some do's and don'ts Facebook ads. Um, you know, we all, everybody gets back, you know, we like to think everything's absolutely perfect that happens in the park, but everyone's going to get back complaints of, you know, about things like, oh, it's just a little too expensive or just a little too crowded or part. It was great, but parking was painful. Right. So, 
Um, a lot of times that happens just because we don't know what to expect, right? So we see like how beautiful this event is or how beautiful this attraction is, um, how fun it's going to be. And then we forget that, that, you know, maybe Saturday night during the holiday season, it's the busiest night of the year. And, um, you know, our, our expectations maybe don't get met because we weren't aware of that. But I think, you know, in our social channels specifically, we've got a chance in organic and in paid and an in influencer content that we can bring in to really kind of share some ways, workarounds. So one of the things I often think of is, um, you know, if, if it's crowds, why not share, hey, you know, Tuesdays are the lowest, you know, visitation day of the week, come on a Tuesday and you're going to be you know, you're going to be super excited to be able to take a picture without a bunch of families in the background, right? Um, or if it's a holiday event, like come before Thanksgiving, you'll be able to capture those family photos and in time to send them on your Christmas cards and ensure that you're not waiting until close to Christmas when the event's selling out every single week. So uh, I think influencers are a great way to, to share some of this uh, because as the attraction, you of course can share that organically or, or through some of your paid channels. But having an influencer, you know, creator come into your park and then they're sharing kind of their tips and tricks around how to get around and get the best experience possible um, is, you know, I mean, invaluable to, to have that and to share with your guests. So I don't know, Josh, if that's kind of something that you're seeing on your end too, how you maybe um, you know, recommend your, your, uh, your attractions to kind of work around that as well too. Yeah. Well, I, I do a, a follow-up question because this has really got my gears turning here because I, I talk a lot about kind of the, the connect between the expectation and the and the experience and uh there's the whole saying of like under promise and over deliver but you can't do that and especially not in our industry because the the purpose of the advertising is because of what, are, what are you competing against and it's mm -hmm. all the other alternative ways that people can spend their time spend their money spend their their resources could be other similar attraction types it could be hey this is a reason for you to turn off netflix get off the couch and actually leave the house and come to the zoo or the aquarium the theme park. Uh, so the it, it kind of turns into saying you can't underpromise and overdeliver. You have to overpromise to be able to to kind of just win the business. But then the ops teams and you know those on site need to overdeliver that. So I'm curious as far as kind of how you you balance that of saying we can't underpromise because we need to gain the business, but we can't overpromise as well. But we also want to make sure we're setting the exact expectation that gives the the teams on site the opportunity to exceed the very high expectation that we're setting yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well i mean you know and, and i think that is being real right being honest and truthful and yeah we're, we're not going to come in and be like hey our parking totally sucks and <laughs> and our and our great you know ad strategy <laughs> or content strategy but um, but how are, how are there some ways that maybe more nicely we could, or, or we're, really it's just kind of using our marketing to educate them on, you know, alternatives, not alternatives, you know, choices, but alternatives around maybe some of those pain points that they, they could, you know, experience or, or feel like some people might not care that it's crowded. They love, they love to be there when everybody else is there and the energy of all the other people. And, you know, some people maybe more introverted than just not, not want to be close to other people during during their visits. So um, I think it's just listening, right, to, to the feedback that you're getting from the guest and figuring out how you can, again, share maybe some of those tips and tricks around it or, you know, ways to, to maneuver it or like, you know, yeah, it is busy and it is going to sell out and you do need to be aware of this. And 
that's not necessarily, you know, creating a bad picture for, for what it is that they're going to experience, but they're not going to go in there thinking it's going to be them in the park by themselves, you know, and, uh, and taking all these photos with nobody behind them, um, because in the reality, that's just not going to happen. Right. So, um, so it's not a bad thing. It's just, it is, it's the truth. It's honest. And, um, you know, th there's a blend of the, the picture perfect um, event, right, or, or, or visit, and then the, the reality of it that doesn't necessarily have to be a letdown, but just a, a way to communicate. These are some of the things that you'll run in or that, you know, can happen while you're, while you're at the park. So, well, one of the things I'm curious about is the kind of the, the connection then to employees, because one of the things that Josh and I talk a lot about is the intersection of the guest and employee experience. And I've advocated many, many years for HR to not do the advertising themselves for, you know, recruiting and things like that, like get some trained professionals, people who know about media and know about marketing to, to help with that, because you would be able to tell that story and get that word out probably much more effectively than people who have studied, you know, interviewing and benefits and things like that. So I'm curious if you're seeing this kind of the same thing we've been talking about for this entire conversation from a guest perspective, but also from an employee perspective, like, are you being asked to, you know, help drive, um, drive people to come in and, and fill out applications and, you know, set the right parameters for what a job at a nonprofit attraction is going to be versus the guest? Yeah, um, it's typically a pretty, you know, smaller portion of that overall, you know, media budget, but Absolutely. We've, we've been, um, we've built out recruitment plans. Um, so whether that's going all in on paid search or we are, you know, doing some pushes in social media, you know, we're typically not running TV spots for that, but, um, but absolutely. That's a, that's a huge piece of it because they've got to be properly staffed to set the, you know, the experience or, or make that experience great. Um, so yeah, usually there's like a little push right before their biggest season where we'll often come in and, and help with, ad campaigns for targeting, um, you know, whether it's seasonal um, or typically seasonal employees that they'll need. Um, but we're also seeing a lot of just kind of organically through social channels. There's um, a lot of content that they're like, they're using their employees to go out and create content and, and share on social media to help kind of spread that word, share what their experience is. Like there's a lot of kind of day in the life, right. As a um, you know, somebody who might work at a nonprofit attraction and across different departments. And those are the things that help show that, you know, it's a fun job and it's a, it's a great company. And um, so it's, it's really important to include in, you know, from a media side, of course, we can do all of the targeting around, you know, here's how much it pays, you know, they, we're, we're targeting a, you know, a particular area or region to try to bring people in and reach people. But the content is equally as important when um, we're trying to get in front of these this audience, right? And um, I think, you know, definitely seeing a lot more content created by the attractions themselves to, you know, kind of show off those employee benefits and, um, and, and help recruit. So there's a hot dog vendor at Wrigley Field. And Matt, I know uh, you know this because I was talking about it last week in, uh, in a workshop we were doing, I talked about it at, at IAPA as well, has this huge Instagram following. And he does exactly what you just said, this like day in the life of like, follow me around like my job. And the content is is just amazing. And at Cubs games over the summer at Wrigley Field, I'm like looking out for, I was like, I want to buy a hot dog from him. Like I want to yeah. see him. And like, hey, maybe maybe I go like apply for a job as a hot dog. Like, it seems like a great, a great job. Like he makes it appear very, uh, um, you know, like, like it's, like, it's really cool, which I'm sure it is. Um, 
Switching gears slightly, we only have, we only have a few minutes left, but uh, I, I'm kind of curious about metrics and some of the numbers and, and the KPIs. And particularly, it's it's easy to kind of look at dashboards and sort of chase numbers, but curious as far as maybe what thing what people what things people are not doing very well, like looking at vanity metrics that perhaps you know kind of give an, an inflated sense of of value for perhaps how a certain campaign is doing or a social channel versus like what are and maybe this goes back to kind of the signal from the noise that we get a lot a lot of noise with a lot of metrics that we get of what should we be paying attention to and what's not so important? Yeah, well, I mean, it starts with setting up their when you're building your strategy, you know, supporting those objectives, like what are you what are you trying to do? So if it's I'm trying to go in and um, you know drive visitation from a younger audience, and then you're going to run a campaign and it allow it to kind of optimize towards a click, you might not you might you might optimize away from the actual audience you're trying to grow. So I think you've got to be very careful when you're going in and building out campaigns of just understanding what is the purpose of this campaign, what are we trying to do. And what is that metric? And that metric can vary, right? It's not always going to be, you know, reaching the most unique um, households, right? As many unique households as possible. It's not always going to be driving traffic to my page. It's not always going to be driving an online ticket sale. Um, so those KPIs can vary based off of the channel, based off of the objective, but make sure that you stay true to those, you know, that the measurement that you have in place. So. Um, it's it's so easy to say, I don't care about clicks to my website. And then, oh no, this campaign's not driving clicks to my website. Get more clicks, right? So we see that happen a lot. And sometimes it's just, it's got to be the reminder of, you know, the, the purpose of this, why we're doing it and what we're trying to achieve by it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of shifts going on in the measurement space right now, um, particularly within digital. Uh, and there's a lot of challenges with nonprofit attractions. So when we think about a, a conversion on, on you know, what we want someone to do when they do make it to the site, usually it is to buy a ticket. Uh, but not everyone can track all the way through to that final ticket purchase. Some can, depending on the you know, ticketing software that they use, and some can't. And I will say, um, when you have some insight into the channels that are driving that final ticket sale, your performance looks very different than the channels that used to follow, you know, um, measure just to driving traffic to the page. So be careful if you've got kind of some upper funnel metrics in place for things like traffic that you're not, you know, potentially optimizing away from what your end final goal is, which is the ticket sale, which is that final visitation. Um, but you know, it's also just looking at that channel mix overall. And even if it's just anecdotally saying, okay, we've, you know, what's our, what, what's our visitation look like when we do run TV, right? Do we see a spike in our web traffic when we're running radio? Like just starting to pull some of those pieces together because visitation is the end goal, not a click to the website. So I have a question that may, maybe a little off the off the topic or off the rails, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, when you watch a commercial or you watch, you know, some some sort of advertisement, everybody's going to have a different view of is that good or is that not good, right? Um, so I'm curious from your standpoint, from a creative, uh, I guess, viewpoint, how do you know when something is good? Is it just based on you try it and you test it and you see if it works, you see if it gets the clicks, if it gets the eyeballs, or is there something sort of in your gut that tells you 
this is going to be the one. Well, Matt, I do the media side, so I'm in spreadsheets and data. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what? Uh, so I want my. I may not be directing them on the the actual content itself in terms of the message, um, but we are doing a lot of testing with it, right? So. Um, we know that if we're trying to, you know, run a campaign that's supposed to drive a ticket sale and where we've got kind of a, a brand message that's really not doing anything to try to get someone to buy right now, it's, it's not really going to perform well, right? So within channels, we like to give a lot of recommendations based off of risk practices, based off of, you know, varying, you know, call to actions that we might include in spots. Um, but I would leave it to, um, my creative partners for more of the, is this going to be good or not? Good? Uh, but from our standpoint, it's a variety of creative really, because you don't always know what's going to perform well. And something that you think is going to do great may not. Um, or anything that you thought, you know, there's no way it's going to work well, can work the best. So if at all possible, bring variety into the mix, because that's the only way you're really going to be able to test it. Hmm. So Jenny, we're starting to wind down here and come close to the end of the interview, but uh, are, are there any final thoughts or any questions that we did not ask you that you wanna make sure you get out to our audience? Um, well, we covered a lot, but I think, you know, just stick to that 5%. That's the big one. <laughs> uh, just take that time, audit those plans. Um, you know, we're always happy to help in that, in that area, but so we created this guide just so that, uh, you know, nonprofit attractions have a little bit of guidance into, you know, maybe some, some quick things that they can do to, to enhance those plans that they, those media plans that they put together. So um, the, the guides on our website, so you can, you can find out more information on that um, and kind of dive into each of the rules that we talked about a little bit deeper as well. Excellent. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. This has been a really fascinating conversation. If somebody wants to learn more about you or attend media, where would you send them? Sure. Um, our website is attend.media. And um, we also host a podcast where we dive deeper into every single one of these topics. So that's the Marketing Attractions Podcast, Spotify, um, Apple, every, everywhere podcast, everywhere this podcast is, our podcast is as well. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, Jenny, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.